Thanks, Stephanie. That was awesome. Good morning. Good to see you. We're in Psalm 18. If you would turn there in your Bibles with me, I'd appreciate that. Psalm 18, there's a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. If you do not have one, uh, you can welcome to borrow that. If you don't have one at home, we always say you can certainly take that, uh, take that home with you, and that's, that's your gift if you need one. Uh, We're going to continue on in Psalm 18. I love, I love the, uh, the song that was just shared on the piano there, Mighty Fortress is Our God. Uh, and Stephanie did mention it. It is, it is in the hymnal. In our hymnal, it's number 37. And uh, it, it just recounts so, so picturesque how, how God has uh, become a mighty fortress for David. But uh, that, that even in the middle of trying to uh, be rescued and physical from physical calamity, uh, the transition from, from physical into more of a spiritual side always prevails. Uh, and, and the truth of that is, we may never get rescued from our physical calamity or an illness or a circumstance, but God has always promised to take care uh, of our soul, of our spirit. The, the final stanza it says, That word above all uh, earthly powers, uh, no thanks to them uh, abideth, abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, the, this mortal life also, uh, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Amen? That ultimately there's a kingdom reserved uh, in heaven for us with God because of what Christ has done. So pretty amazing. So we're in Psalm uh, 18, and we're continuing on. This, uh, it's a six-week uh, emphasis or, or look at this psalm, breaking this apart. It's the last psalm uh, of the season we're going to be doing. We have the Summer in the Psalms sermon series, right? So we're, we're still trying to hold on to summer for five more weeks, okay? Uh, it, won't, it won't last, but we'll try. It's okay. Um, last week we began in Psalm 18 uh, with the first three verses, the, the opening, and that was, that was about David's rejoicing, David's rejoicing, and he, he was just rejo- rejoicing to God about the character and nature of God, and we saw that last week, he listed out eight things that, that he, he attributed to God, characteristics he attributed to God, he said, you're my strength, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, um, my God, you're my rock, he said it again, right, my shield and the horn of my salvation, you are my stronghold. And we looked at the characteristics of God being the things that, that David just found some, some comfort in and, 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 a, and rescue from. But those things, here was where the disconnect could be. We could, we could have attributes of God or characteristics of God and say, oh yeah, that's a characteristic of God, whoop de doo right, or a big deal. Until it really applies personally and you, you understand him as your strength, as your shield, as your rock, and you can personally understand that, there will be no overflow from your heart, from your life, uh, into the world, into the, into the uh, life around you. And David, David's did overflow. And he said, here's the characteristics and nature of God. And he said, but my rejoicing is, I, I love you, God. Because of what you've done, because of who you are, I have an overflowing love for you. I, my de- I deeply love you. And I, I talked about that love being that, that love like a child and a, and a parent. That's that, like, I, I just want to cling to you kind of love that David had for, for God. And he said, I, I'm going to praise you as well. I'm going to praise you with all that I am, my overflow, because of what you've done and who you are, I'm going to overflow in adoration and praise and lift you up. And he says, I called the Lord who is worthy of praise, and he was saved from his enemies. But we also talked about in the middle of this passage, verses 1 through 3, there was a point where he says, you are my rock, and he says, you are my, where I seek refuge. And it was really important, we talked about the idea of what refuge was. Uh, refuge was this safety, this place of security under the shadow of, of God's wing that we would find safety. And, and when he said, I am going to seek refuge, he's saying, because of, of the characteristics of God, because of who you are, I am going to te- tape a, take a step of faith toward you, and I will in faith seek you as my refuge. 
And that's, that's salvation. That, that's for us today. We might know a lot about God, but until you take that step of faith, trusting that He is good, trusting that He died on that cross, trusting that He can forgive and He can cleanse and that He can be the, 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 the wings that you can find shadow and security underneath, he, will, he never will for you. So for you and I, it's so important to, to not just leave the characteristics of God hanging, but to let it inform the joy inside of us, the love inside of us, but also the faith inside of us in a God who is merciful, kind, and good. Amen? So we're in Psalm 18, and we're going to continue on, verses 4 through 19. Uh, we, we talked about this. This is David's uh, praise, a hymn of praise that he puts together uh, because God has given him victory over all his enemies. And, uh, and David had a lot of enemies, and David had a lot of time where enemies surrounded him. Uh, but this is, again, the overflow of, God's, uh, of David's, David's joy in the Lord of what, he, what he's done for him. Uh, as we take this journey, we're going to find out uh, it's more than just about David, though. It's about uh, the, the greater victory that's going to be had uh, in the, by the house and line of David in Jesus Christ. And, and that was what I told you. Write down last week, write this down. I said, you can write it down again. The, the main kind of theme we're seeing develop here is that David was given victory over his enemies, but that victory that he was given was made to have a greater victory possible, right? The greater victory of the son, Jesus Christ, who would come. And David knew, David, David was, was embracing that, that covenant, that promise that God had given him, and that he would produce that through his line, an anointed one that would be the Messiah, the, the one that would rule and reign on the throne of David forever. And we see that fulfilled in Jesus, and that's, that's a wonderful truth, a wonderful promise that we can adhere to as well. So this is not only about David, it's about the victories that God gave David that, that made possible the greater victories. And I mentioned that as we, we talk about this, uh, we talked about it last week and this week, we have to be, be cognizant of that in our own lives. That God's not just out to get you, give you a victory. Ultimately, any victory given to you or to me is His victory for His glory. It might be for our good or our benefit, but ultimately it is for His glory and His greater good and the greater kingdom. And we have to have that perspective. So, we're going to pray, and then we'll read through the text, verses 4 through 19, together, and then we'll break it apart, okay? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to be here today, uh, God, to worship you, God, to, to let the overflow of our hearts be seen, God, to show you that we do love you, that we are thankful for who you are, and we're so thankful for the mercy of Jesus Christ that has paid the ultimate price on a cross that we, that we owed, but we can never pay on our own. God, help us increase our faith and trust in you. That, God, you would be our refuge, our safety, our security, our salvation, our purity, and our righteousness. We, we trust you with that. And, God, open our hearts and minds now as we look to your word. That, God, you would convict us and challenge us. That, God, you would soften us. That you would help lead us to repentance, God. And that we would ultimately become more conformed into the image of the Son, more obedient sons and daughters of the Most High God. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So in Psalm 18... Verses 4 through 19, we'll read together. The ropes of death were wrapped around me. The torrents of destruction terrified me. The ropes of Sheol entangled me, and the snares of death confronted me. I called to the Lord in my distress, and I cried to my God for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth shook and quaked. The foundations of the mountains trembled. They shook because he burned with anger. Smoke rose from his nostrils and consuming fire came from his mouth. Coals were set ablaze by it. He bent the heavens down or heavens and came down. 
total darkness beneath his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew soaring on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his hiding place, dark storm clouds his canopy around him. From the radiance of his presence, his clouds swept onward with hail and and blazing coals. The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High made his voice heard. He shot his arrows and scattered them. He hurled lightning bolts and routed them. The depths of the sea became visible. The foundations of the world were exposed. At your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He pulled me out of deep water. He rescued me from my powerful enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They they confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out to a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Amen? Now, we're going to talk about this, uh, this next section, and I've titled it David's Rescue. David's rescue. We're going to look at three aspects of David's rescue that we can find in this text, at least three, and, uh, and hopefully that'll be something you and I can grow with and, and learn from. So the first one is this. Uh, the first aspect of David's rescue is the cry, David's cry. And we see that in, in the, the passage there, verses 4 and 5. But what I want us to look at as we do this, there, there's a depth of this cry that, that needs to be there and needs to be present for you and I when we cry. You know, there are times where my son or daughter may get in a little trouble or they might be, whatever might be happening, and they might get upset and cry. And, and their cry is because they haven't got their way, they're not comfortable, they need something to change, daddy fix it, right? And they cry, it's like, I cry, help! And that's okay, that's good. But there's more to it. There needs to be a learning curve about this too because that learning curve helps them become the human being they're intended to be, right? That we can relate to one another in society, that we could, we could ha- live this life in community with people and, and be respectful and all of those things that are added in. Well, for you and I, when we have a spiritual cry or even a physical cry to God, we, we, I don't want to just be a crybaby. I don't want to be a cry, well, I'm hurting, I'm suffering, help me, God. It should be, God, this, this hurts, something's going on. God, and I cry out to Him, expecting that He will, through that time of pressure, increase my faith. That He will help me grow into the man of God that He intends me to be. Because it, when I cry out to God, it's not about me, it's not about you getting your way. And that's the, one of the biggest hurdles to jump over, isn't it? We so want it to be done our way. We so think it should be done the way we think. And God's saying, listen, I, I want to run to your aid, but, but do you trust me? Do you trust that I can help you grow in your faith? Do you trust that I'm looking out for you, but ultimately I'm more worried about my glory being revealed than about your comfort? And we get that perspective. Now something can change. Something can grow inside of us. So let's look at this. David's cry in verse, verses 4 and 5. He says, the ropes of death were wrapped around me and the torrents of destruction terrified me. He's saying that the ropes of death, I was almost dead. I was good as dead. And the next part, the torrents, it's the waves or the floods of destruction. Some translations say the ungodly. And, and David found himself in that, in that manner all the time. As he looked around himself, uh, the people that were faithful were no longer faithful. The, the, the godlessness of the, of the culture just surrounded him, and he felt like he was all alone, and the pressure kept mounting and closing in on him. You ever feel that way? You ever feel the pressures of the world and, and worldliness and just the culture and, and what's happening in society or maybe in your family? It's just it's closing in. Like, am I the only one who's trying to have faith? David felt that. He felt the torrents of destruction. And it said the torrents of destruction terrified him. 
Those waves of ungodliness, that pressure was mounting over and over, and it terrified him. The ropes of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. And, and it, very likely, David could have been uh, in a position of, of near execution, maybe bound and ready. Those, those, those chains or the ropes, the snares of death confronted him. Whatever it was in, that, that pressure was mounting for him. So he cried out. Verse 6, I called to the Lord in my distress, and I cried to my God for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. I want us to see the progression of his faith through this passage. In verse 6, he says, I called to the Lord. That name for God there is Yahweh. It's the greatest, highest name of God we have. It's the name that he gave Moses. He says, who should I, who should I tell him sent me? He said, what? I am. Tell him, I am sent you. That's Yahweh, the Lord. This is that name for God. It's this huge name for God. So when you're, when you're in a huge dilemma, what do you do? You cry out to the biggest help you can. Help, right? Or first we dial 911, right? It's not just dial the police department. It's like, use the numbers. And you know how often we tell our kids, don't touch those buttons. Don't ever dial that number unless you have to, have to, have to, right? How many prank calls do they get? Or how many, and that's why it's illegal to make a call that's not an emergency on an emergency line. But David's using the emergency line. He's saying, Yahweh, I need, I need all the reinforcement I can get. I need, I need you. Because he knows God, the big, big G God, Yahweh, can take care of it. But he, his faith doesn't stay there. He, it grows. It becomes something more, deeper here. And this is where we have to understand. There's a difference between saying, God, help. And what he says next, he says, I cried to the Lord, God, help. And I cried to my God for help. We've, we've talked about this name of God over the last three or four weeks a lot because he uses it he says my god in this my god personal and the word the name for god there is l it's it's the mighty god it's mighty i i, I used it uh, in weeks past the mighty hero right the mighty superhero god as my son would love to put it but it's personal god you are god you are you are all the reinforcements that anyone could ever need but you are my mighty hero it is personal. I know you on a personal, deep level. You are my refuge. I've gone to you for help, so I'm crying out to you as my God. You see, his faith increases. It goes from just saying, God, help, to you're my God. You are, you are I, my God. Help me. My God. I call for my God to help. It says, from his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. So David felt as close to death as he could feel. Right? And, and things were flooded around him. But this, and this type of overwhelming despair led David, that great king, and the one who, right, he was a great king, he, he had many battles, many victories. Before he was king, he was, he was David shepherding the sheep, right? And as he shepherded the sheep, the text says he, he killed lions and bears. Were there tigers? Oh my, maybe, no. He killed lions and bears, right? I mean, this is a tough guy, a guy that's going to say, I'm, I'm going to take care of business. And then one day he goes to, to his dad, and his dad says, go take this, these sack lunches to your brothers. They're out on the battlefield. Check in, see how it's going. And what, he takes the lunches out. And who's out there? Goliath is out there. And the Philistines are on one side, and Israelites are on one side. What are we doing? They're all afraid. They're scared. And David says, who's this guy? He defies the armies of the living God. Let me go at him. I'll take care of him. This is David, who doesn't really get afraid real easily, right? And the scriptures say, David says, he says, terrified me. I was terrified. We've, we can all be overwhelmed with fear in different areas of our life. We need to look and say, God, what is overwhelming me with fear? And, and how might you increase my faith through that? So I think there's, there's kind of three subcategories here I want us to look at. And, and one is this, that when we're pressed, God wants to grow our faith. God wants to grow our faith when we're pressed. 
And then he says, even though you're surrounded on all sides and you feel like it's just closing in and crushing you, God always extends a means of grace to us through prayer. God says when, it, when it's that bad and you feel like there's no escape, there's always a means of grace that you, you may now pray to me. Those lines of communication will never, ever be closed to you. So he says, pray, pray, and you'll grow as you, as you pray. As David prayed, he even grew in his faith in that. He's trusting God, but he's not just trusting God. He's trusting, trusting his God. Not, not only Yahweh, but my mighty hero, one that's going to, going to take care of me the way only he can. He cries out in the midst of great fear. We can learn that we can grow in faith. I want to, uh, I'm going to read something out of Micah to you, a passage out of Micah, and I want us to see kind of the third way. There's, so we grow through the pressings and the pressures. We can grow through prayer, but there's also another thing. We grow when we're penitent, when we have a repentant heart. Uh, Micah 7, verses 7 through 9 says this, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Isn't that beautiful? That's powerful. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will stand up. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Now listen, this is, this is someone who has sinned against God, not, and they've fallen because of sin. Not just someone who's, who's a good person and everyone's attacking. They're now, now being exposed for maybe the hypocrite they were. God is, God is revealing the sin in this person's life, right? He says, don't rejoice over me. Though I have fallen, there's sin, I will stand up. See that hope? Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against Him, I must endure the Lord's range or discipline or anger, right? Until He champions my cause and establishes justice for me. See, that, that place of, of penitent heart, when I say, I, I, I know I messed up, and I, I need to repent of that. I need to turn. But when we turn, listen, when we turn, we turn back to God. We turn back to the source, the author and perfecter of our faith. We don't, we don't turn into shame. We don't turn into guilt. We say, I've messed up. I've made that mistake. I've fallen. But I will stand up. And when I stand up, I will face my God. Because my God will be the one that contends and establishes justice for me. The last part of that says, He will bring me into the light. I will see His salvation. That's the truth that we know. That, that's another, another instance. Like David, it's, it's growing our faith. It's letting us grow up and, and be the person who we need to be with the Lord through our repentant heart. So, so God will help us grow. And we saw in David when we're pressed, right? When we pray, and, and now in Micah we see when we're penitent, when we have repentance in the heart and humility, saying, I, I don't want to stay that way. I want to be different. God wants us to grow. And it's a beautiful thing when we cry out from earth to heaven. You know why? Because we see the response from heaven to earth. God responds. God, God does something about the prayers of his children. David tells us the, the cries of the Lord, if we go back to Psalm 18, the, the, oh, the cries of the Lord reached God's ears. The cries of the Lord reached God's ears. It wasn't to a secretary's desk who took a note and filed it away and sent it in later on. Right? It wasn't to an angel who was trying to take notes and, and would get to God later. It, was, it went to God's ears 
himself and to think about all that's going on in heaven right now. Right? It's a busy place. We see in Isaiah, we see uh, him, him have a view of what's going on in heaven. There's this worship service happening that's so loud and so vibrant that it's shaking heaven. It's kind of like that last night at my house where uh, we got home, we're kind of settled in. I don't know if you heard it. There was something going on in the park last night. And we, we live across from the, the freeway from the park. And I, I kept telling my wife, like, do you hear that? Do you hear that thump, thump, thump? She's like, no. Okay. I, okay. Later on, do you hear that? And I, finally I go outside and it's, it's like, it's, there's something going on over there. Like 930 at night, no big deal. But it was, it was pretty interesting. You could feel that and hear that. Well, heaven is like this raging just thump, 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 holy, 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 and the place is filling with smoke, and it's shaking. You think you couldn't hear anything in there. But the prayers of God's children, however quiet, reach his ears. Isn't that amazing? I want to read you a quote, Charles Spurgeon. He said this, he says, Far up within the bejeweled walls and through the gates of pearl, the cry of the suffering was heard. Music of angels and and harmony of seraphs availed not to drown or even impair the voice of that humble call. The king heard it in his place of light insufferable and lent a willing ear to the cry of his own beloved children. O honored prayer, to be able thus through Jesus' blood to penetrate the very ears and the heart of God. God God's listening to those prayers. God's ready to move. And that leads us to number two. The second aspect of David's rescue was God's response. Go with me to Psalm 18. Look at verse 7 through 15 together. Then the earth shook and, and quaked. The foundations of the mountains trembled. They shook because he burned with anger. Smoke rose from his nostrils and consuming fire came from his mouth. Coals were set ablaze by it. He bent the heavens and came down. Total darkness beneath his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew, soaring on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his hiding place, dark storm clouds his canopy around him. From the radiance of his presence, his clouds swept onward with hail and blazing coals. The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High made his voice heard. He shot his arrows and scattered them. He hurled lightning bolts and routed them. The depths of the sea became visible. The foundations of the world were exposed at your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. Amazing imagery here. Amazing what we see God do. God's in heaven on his throne, and he hears the prayer of the righteous, the prayer of his child, and what does he do? He gets up. God moves. My, my grandma always used to tell me that thunder and lightning would happen. What, what'd she say? That's just God rearranging his furniture. Right? I'm like, man. Can you do it a little more quietly? It's a little scary. But that's when God moves. I, I, that, that phrase, it's that idea, that question or that statement, when God moves. It kept coming to mind this week as I, as I thought, what is it like when God moves? What is it like when God's might moves? And, and David, now here's the deal with this. We don't know for sure if this is actually what happened with David. If, if David actually saw this occur and this is the way God responded in this circumstance. It's unlikely, but it's unknown, so maybe it's possible. It's totally possible because God can do it. But David for sure knows the history of how God has moved amongst his people. David is continuing to recount in his mind and his heart all that God has already done. You think about Israel and, and, and Egypt, and you think about uh, the Red Sea, and all the places where God showed up and God did something 
big. So as, he, as he's recounting this, at least, at the very least, he's recounting what has happened, if not describing what happened for him as well. He, what he knows is this, and concerning his own case, the case that he started crying out for in verse 4, that telling us what was happening, considering his case, he knew that he would see the same glory and power and goodness of God, and he offered God this hymn of praise because of it. He knew that God would show up and God would do something. Now what I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to read you some text that we, that's, that's scripture that David may have had on his mind. And some things where these descriptive words were used and, and, and you saw God move. But what I want you to understand as we go through these things, here, here's the, the real point of point number two. It's that God, and His might is always connected to His mercy. God's might, His power, his strength, his movement is always connected to his mercy. It almost goes back to when we did Ruth and talked about Hesed, right? His faithful love endures forever. Every, every action of God is in conduct or in line with conduct according to his faithful love, his mercy. So let me give you some instances of that. And there's lots of, lots of uh, in your notes, lots of references that you can look up and read as a family later on. I encourage you to do that. Here's, here's what it's saying. Uh, Genesis, I'll give you Genesis chapter 7. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, in the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the sources of the vast watery depths burst open. Oh, this has never happened before. The floodgates of the sky were opened, and the rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Boom, God moved. And we know that he moved in accordance with his righteousness and his faithful love that his faithful love would endure through Noah and his family. See, God's might is connected to his mercy. Then you have the plagues in Egypt. When, when Moses went back to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, and he didn't, what happened, right? We had plagues. And there's an account of some of this in Psalm 135. It says, for I know that the Lord is great. The Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth, in the seas and in the depths. He causes the clouds to rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and, bring, and brings the wind from its storehouses. He struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both people and animals. He sent signs and wonders against you, Egypt, against Pharaoh and against all his officials. There's his might, right? We're seeing his might. That song goes on to say, Lord, your name endures forever. Your reputation, Lord, through all generations. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. There's his might, there's his mercy. God's might is always connected to his mercy. Then you have this, this image at Mount Sinai. So the people have gone out, and now Moses gets the Ten Commandments, and the people want to get know God and meet God. So here's, here's the imagery we see, and this is what I think David is pulling from when he, when he gives us this psalm. On the third day, when morning came, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, at the very, uh, and a very loud trumpet sound, so that all the people in the camp shuddered. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. Yeah, pretty neat day, huh? And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped uh, in smoke because the Lord had come down on it as fire. Its smoke went up like a smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently. God moved. But God was revealing himself to his people because God was delivering them to the promised land and ultimately had a bigger promise that the inheritance would, would the inhabitants would be uh, as, as large as, and numerous as the sand on the seashore, and that we would all get to know Christ through it. See, God's might is connected to His mercy. And then you have that instance where the Israelites are at the sea, 
the Red Sea. And what do they do? Pharaoh's army is now coming in because, because God hardened, hardened Pharaoh's heart and he's coming behind him. And what do we see? The imagery there. I'm not going to read it, but there's pillars of clouds and pillars of fire, right? And, and, and the army's coming in and they're, they're hidden. And like, where, where are the Israelites? And they go to the sea and, and Moses is instructed to, spread, uh, to, to stretch out his, his staff. And what does God do? He takes the water and goes, moves it aside. And they walk across on what? Dry ground. It was just wet three seconds ago. Now it's dry. The bottom of the sea is exposed. God does whatever he wants in his might. And they walked across on dry ground. And then what happened? Pharaoh came riding through and what? Everyone do this and do this. That's what happened. God just said, no, they're done. Because my might and my power is connected to my mercy for my people. That's who God is. That's what God does for us. I want to read one more instance for you. And this is so important because this should build all the way from Genesis all the way into into Revelation. But here in Matthew, here's what we're going to see, part of the crucifixion. In Matthew 27, starting in verse 50. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he gave up his spirit. And listen, we read the crucifixion and maybe it's in a different, one of the different Gospels because we don't always read this, this one. I want you to see and hear what happened this day, this moment in time, because it was not normal. He cried out and he gave up his spirit. And suddenly, in verse 51, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked. The rocks were split. This next verse blows me away. The tombs were also opened of many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep and were raised. And they came out of the tombs after his resurrection, entered the holy city, and appeared to many. That's a little odd. It's like the walking dead meets Jerusalem there. I mean, it's people were raised out of the tombs and went into the city. This is God's might and his power because it's connected to his mercy. And here's verse 54. When the centurion and those, uh, and those with him were, who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake, and the things that had happened, they were terrified and said, truly this man was the Son of God. God's might is connected to His mercy. Amen? The powers of darkness and hell and sin and death will do whatever they can to come against God, against His anointed one, and against His children, the church. But God, but God will move heaven and earth to come against this evil and will do whatever it takes to be victorious. Why? Because he's merciful. And his might is always in line with his mercy. And I want you to think about that for you today, too. For your own, your own uh, we may not have this thunder and lightning and the smoke and clouds and fire and, and something, the earthquake that happens right around us that makes it victorious for us. But God, in his power, is working to give you victories that he chooses will be beneficial for you, but ultimately that will show off his mercy and his greatness in his son Jesus more and more. The victories that God gives for you are intended to be his victories to display the son Jesus Christ. Amen? And when we look back in our lives, I sure hope, I sure hope that you and I can find and see the mighty power of God working before us through us, and again, for his glory. Finally, the final aspect of David's rescue we see here is, is the deliverance. It's, it's that God delivers. 
that God rescued, that God showed up and did something. So it's amazing. God moves. We see what happens when God moves. And so look at verses 16 through 19 with me and back in Psalm 18. Let's see what this says. All, all this shaking and smoke and this imagery of, of great victory and power. What, what David is looking for when he says that, he's like, mercy, God, mercy, bring your mercy, bring your mercy. And David has so delighted, I want you to understand, David is so delighted in God. When we first started this, he, we, we saw him cry out, but he delighted and said, God, you're my rescue. You're my God. My delight is in you. I want you to have your way. I want your mercy to be seen. And now we get to the last part. He says, in verse 16, he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He pulled me out of deep water. He rescued me from my powerful enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me on the day of my calamity, but the Lord, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out to a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. You know, I, I said that phrase, when God moves, right? What happens when God moves? There was many years ago, I, I heard a song um, by Phillips, Craig, and Dean. It was called, When God Ran. And I, I, I've remembered that forever and I actually have taken that to heart because it's, it's from the parable of the prodigal son. And, and really an amazing image of God's might and his power all humbling itself down to this place of taking shame, taking the guilt, and running to pursue and embrace you and I. And that's where his mercy is revealed the most. See, God reached down from on high. And when the psalmist, when David writes, he's, he's basically in this place of dire straits, right? He's, he's surrounded on all, all counts. He's, he's squeezed in. He's feeling the pressure from everywhere. And God's reaching down to not only take care of him physically, but, but to take care of his heart and say, listen, I, I'm going to give you a peace and freedom and, and a breath of fresh air that you didn't know you could have because I'm the rescuer here. He says he, he pulled me out of deep water. You ever been in deep water before? He rescued me, and here this goes on, he rescued me from my powerful enemy and from those who hated me, not just because he wanted to. You see, we get that place of like, I really wish this, this pressure wasn't around. But we need to understand the depth of pressure here. He says, you rescued me from my enemy and the powerful enemy and those who hated me for or because they were too strong for me. How often do you and I not go to God in prayer, not go to God, my God, the rescuer, for help? Because, oh, I got this, God. I got it. I'll take care of it. I'll figure it out. I'll work it out. This will pass. I don't want to be a crybaby. God's like, you, you can't handle this. I, I can handle it. So I, I hope that you would just delight in me as your rescue so I can delight in you having been rescued, is what he's saying. So let's talk about the prodigal son. Let's turn there together, Luke chapter 15. I know it's wrong in your notes. It's Luke 15, not 16. I just want to read a little passage from that. Oh, too far. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 15. Now, the prodigal son is, again, we have a story of, uh, of uh, two, two brothers, two sons, and they both were part of the, the household, the family, and, and one of them said, you know what, I, I want out of this. I want, I, I want my share of the estate. And he told his dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. So dad sold, sold a portion of the property that, that would have paid for that. He gave him his money. 
And he went off and did his own thing, went, on, went about his business. And he spent it on wasteful living, is what Scripture said. And, and in the middle of that time of wasteful living, he ends up in despair and deep doo-doo. Literally, deep pig doo-doo. He's feeding the pigs. And he's longing to just eat and have his fill over the carob pods he's feeding the pigs. That's how dire straits he's in. And he, and he finally comes to his senses. And I want you to understand this. Coming to the senses, this has to do with, with your heart and my heart coming to our realization and senses that we need a Savior, and it's not us. Last week we talked about this, this refuge, that we will seek God as a refuge. That is that step of faith that you and I must take, knowing that He is the only rescue option that we have available. The only one that will last. He is the only one that can forgive. He's the only one that can cleanse. He's the only one that can give you and I a righteousness that we can never ever earn on our own. So we take that step of faith into the refuge under the shadow of His wing because He is the mighty rescuer. And you and I have to come to our, our senses at some place and come, come to a place we know that He is mighty to save. And we run to Him as He is then running to us. Now, get this picture. I want to, I want to pick up here. The, he comes to his senses, the, the prodigal son. He comes to his senses and realizes, my, my dad's hired men are more well off than I ever could imagine right now. I, I, want to, I want that. I'll just be a hired hand. He says, I, I, I need that. I've sinned against my father. And he, he says this, picking up the story in verse 14. Nope, sorry, verse 19. I need to turn there. Verse 19, he says, I, I'm, I'm going to tell him, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. There's that step right there. He got up and went to his father. He said, there's my refuge. The shadow of his wings is who I want to rest in. And, and even if it's just a hired hand, I'll, I'll be that. That's In his mind, he set that up. I'm going to have a step of faith towards my father. So he got up and went to his father. But, but while the son was still a long way off. Church, if you would hear, God is pursuing you. God wants to run to you and wrap you up under the shadow of his wing. You and I have to come to our senses, though, and turn towards him. He says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. If we know the story and the culture, this is so shameful. The father is looking out the window for a son that he's looking out day after day, longing for the son to come home. He's watching for him. He saw him, and, and he was filled with compassion. He ran. The text says, he ran. Threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Something changed, by the way, and there's a deeper study here, but something changed between the thing he said, I was going to say I was no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And he started walking in faith towards his father, and his father ran to him and wrapped him up, and he knew at that moment, in my father's arms, under the shadow of my father's wings, I'll never be treated like a hired hand. I'll never have that status. I am going to be a son, although I'm not worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and, and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. 
There's joy and there's delight. And, and th- there's joy in the, in the son as he came towards the father and he took that step of faith saying, I, I need to be just in the shadow of his wings. Whatever that looks like, I'm going to take that step there. There was joy. He said, I, I will delight in him. There, he is my greatest treasure. There's nothing better than what he offers. And the father ran to him and, and took him in his arms and held him tight and kissed him and put, put responsibility and, and sonship. Sonship like he had never, ever experienced in his life with his father. He was really, truly a son now. And he experienced what that was like. He experienced as he delighted and treasured his father, he saw the delight of his father in a son who had treasured him most. And that's, that's what our text says back in, in verse, eight, verse uh, 19. It says, the Lord was my support, right? He brought me out to a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. There's something amazing about the deliverance of God. When we cry out to him and he responds with deliverance, when he hears that cry and and we come to that place, we come to our senses and we know that our delight is in him and him alone, oh, the joy he has to move any mountain that he has to move. Or the pleasure he has to run to you in any shame or guilt, doesn't even matter. He'll run in an an indignified way to wrap you up in his arms and make you a son or daughter. And in that moment, when he understands that you have delighted in him, he delights in you. Why? Because he gave you a victory. That was all from him. And connected to him and his mercy. So the mercy of God would triumph. David realized that. David saw the rescue of God, the power of God, was connected to the mercy of God. Amen? All right, let's stand and pray. Father, we are thankful for this day we get to come and and look to your word and to worship you and, and God to let your spirit speak to us. God, I pray as we have heard your word now that you would continue to make it work in our hearts, that God, our our delight in you would increase, our joy in you would increase, and it would overflow. And God, as we are most satisfied in you, that you would delight in us, your children. Thank you that you have moved mountains. Thank you that you have shook the earth. Thank you that you have gone to the craziest extremes and extent, even sending your son to die for us, that we might receive the mercy and compassion of God. Increase our faith. God, if we're pressured, increase our faith. God, if we're sinful, help us be penitent and repent and increase our faith. God, help us to pray and increase our faith in you because you are the only refuge that lasts. We trust you and pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, as we close our service, it's our opportunity to respond uh, with worship, with song.